A couple of weeks ago, we began a study that we're calling Face to Face with Jesus. And we're looking at the encounters, the personal one-on-one encounters that Jesus had during his ministry. And we'll mainly be looking out of the, uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, we may go outside that for a few a little later on. But we started off two weeks ago in, uh, in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. The leader of the Jewish people, the Pharisee, the member of the Sanhedrin, who came to Jesus at night and said, you know, we know that you are from God because nobody can be doing the things that you are doing if you weren't from God. And then he and Jesus went into this uh, conversation about needing to be born again and and all those kinds of things. And and then we don't hear about Nicodemus much for for quite a while and, and then only a couple more times. Well, tonight, if you would, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 26. It's a story that I'm sure we're all familiar with. But it says the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town for food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman, How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands. And the man you're now living with is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And we read this this morning. And Jesus said, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now, I just want you to think about 
the two people that Jesus has had these encounters with, could they be any more opposite? You have Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, always been a religious, devout man, upstanding in his community. And then you have this Samaritan woman. It's interesting that you compare the two conversations, especially the end result. Nicodemus' last words in chapter 3, the last words he said are, how can this be? And he kind of stays perhaps kind of a, a secret believer for a while. This woman goes into town and tells everybody about Jesus and eventually brings many to Christ. Now, we'll get to that next week. We're going to spend two weeks on the, the I call her the Good Samaritan, by the way. Y'all, y'all thought it was a typo, didn't you? Y'all thought I, I was reusing a slide from when we were doing the parables and we were doing the Good Samaritan. No. This woman is the good Samaritan. Now, we would have never thought that. We would have never called her that when we first met her. But eventually, we'll see that she becomes the good Samaritan. Today, I want to focus on her and the remarkable conversation that she had with Jesus. Let's first focus on the circumstances that brought Jesus to the well. So Jesus is down in Judea. And trouble is beginning to brew. Okay, there's beginning to be some strife between John's disciples and Jesus' disciples and people are wondering what's going on here. Are they at odds with each other? And it seems to me as if Jesus just kind of decided, you know what? I think the best thing for me to do is just go back up to Galilee, which is in the north. What is interesting, though, is that verse that says he had to go through Samaria. Because that's not really accurate. I mean, it is accurate, but it's not because the Jews would not go through Samaria. If they had to travel from Judea up to Galilee, they despised and hated the Samaritans so much that they would never go through Samaria. They would either cross the Jordan River to the east and go up to uh, Galilee that way and cross back over the Jordan River. Or they would go to the west and hop a boat at the Mediterranean Sea and go on up. Until they got to the Galilee area. But they would not go through Samaria. So to say that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because that's where the GPS told him he had to go. Not quite accurate. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because he had business there. And I think specifically. The business Jesus had in Samaria. Was this woman. Why else would he have had to go through Samaria? And so they get there about noon. It's the heat of the day. The disciples have gone into town to find some food. And this woman comes out. Now, we've talked before about the idea that normally the women would go to the well early in the morning to get the water that they needed for the day. And then they would come back in the early evening and get the water that they needed for the evening and for the night. And they would do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it just made sense. And number two, because the middle of the day was hot. And you didn't want to be carrying that jar of water around in the middle of the heat if you could keep from it. So why was this woman at the well in the middle of the day when nobody else was there? 
And I think it's because nobody else was there. I believe that she did not want to see anybody else. She was kind of an outcast from her society. She was somebody that people looked down on. You know, turned their nose up at. And she knew what people thought of her. And so if she could go and get her water in the middle of the day when there was nobody else there, then she could avoid all those looks and all the things that the people would have been saying about her all these times. So the first point that I want to make about this is that our faith is above our circumstances. You know, we have that saying, three strikes and you're out. Well, this woman had at least three strikes. She may have even had more. My guess is she's walking to the well. And she sees Jesus sitting there. But she's thinking to herself, okay, I know he's not going to make any conversation. I can go. He's going to ignore me. I'm going to ignore him. I'm going to get my water. I'm going to turn around and leave. And we won't ever have to even acknowledge that we're even near each other. The first strike she had against her is that she was a Samaritan. The Samaritan, we all know, you know, were those half-breed people. Uh, they, uh, they were some of the Jews that had been left when Assyria came and captured the northern kingdom and then imported a bunch of foreigners. And they had intermarried with those, those foreigners. And, you know, they kind of had a religious uh, or a, a, they kind of had a Jewish flavor to their religion. But they weren't Jewish by nature because they weren't allowed to go and worship in in Jerusalem at the temple. And the Jews themselves, the purebred Jews, you know, they just, they hated the Samaritans. They were dogs. They were the worst of the worst. And they didn't want anything to do with them. And so here's Jesus, a Jewish man. And here's this Samaritan woman. So the fact she was a Samaritan, that's strike one. Strike two, sorry ladies, she was a woman. That's strike two, okay? In that time and in that culture, women were considered second-class citizens. And especially a single woman kind of by herself. And so she was a Samaritan and she was a woman. And then strike three, she had a little shady background. She was not an upstanding citizen. We get to that in a minute, but we've already seen it, you know, where Jesus says, you've already had five husbands and the dude you're living with right now is not your husband. And if Jesus knew that, of course, Jesus knew it because he was God. Don't you know, everybody in town knew it. That's, you know, that's her. That's the one that said five husbands living with somebody that's not even her husband. You know, she was not considered Good people in her community. So she had these strikes against her. And to the amazement of everybody who would have been there if there was anybody there. But to the amazement of the woman herself. Jesus asked a simple question. Could I have a drink of water? Now, that doesn't seem so out of place, does it? 
But that must have blown that woman's mind. What? How can you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a glass of water? Now, to you and me, that doesn't, that just doesn't seem that out of place, does it? You know, but obviously you see from the from the conversation that that was major in their society. That a Jewish man would ask a Samaritan woman for water. The very last person you would think would be receptive to Jesus, right? If I was to put Nicodemus over here and his religious heritage and his background and all that he knew about God and how he'd been raised and all of this, and then I put this Samaritan woman over here and all of her background and all of her baggage and all that she had going on. And I were to ask you, which one do you think is going to be more receptive to the word of God? Now, y'all are cheating because you know the answer. But if you didn't know, Nicodemus is the logical choice, isn't he? He's the one who knows the scriptures. He's the one who's been religious his whole life. He's the one who who should have been waiting for the Messiah according to the scriptures. This woman's trash. That's kind of the word we might, well, we might not use it, but the world might use to describe this woman. She would never be interested in that. But our relationship with God can surpass whatever our circumstances, whatever our upbringing is this woman was receptive it doesn't matter about our environment our upbringing our own perceived goodness or badness that's not a word but it'll work you know the inscription on the statue of liberty says this give us your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe free The wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Whoa. Did we really know that was in there? The wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Jesus said it first. And he said it better. Come to me, all ye who are weary. And heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You see the problem with Nicodemus was. He thought it was good enough. He didn't think he really needed to do anything more. To to have a relationship with God. In this woman's life. It was pretty evident. That she needed help. You see, we sometimes think and sometimes even feel about other people that we clean ourselves up first. We make ourselves presentable. We fix ourselves first and then we come to Jesus. And we might sit out there and we might think, well, we don't really think that. But I wonder sometimes we don't think that about the lost. I wonder sometimes we don't get the notion, well, they need to clean themselves up first. They need to fix themselves up first. 
They need to do this or do that. And then they can come. That's the. That's the absolute wrong attitude. That attitude. Is a slap in the face of grace. That attitude is a slap in the face of Jesus Christ, our crucified Lord and Savior. Because if we could clean ourselves up first, why did Jesus have to die? If we could clean ourselves up first, what do we need grace for? See, there is no cleaning ourselves up first. We may think we did that. We may think we cleaned ourselves first. Or we may have thought we really weren't that dirty. But we've talked about that before. Lost is lost. There's no such thing as just a little lost and a whole lot of lost. Lost is lost. And so it doesn't matter what our circumstances were, what our upbringing was, what our environment was. A relationship with God and with Jesus can overcome all of that. Jesus is able to take us in the middle of our circumstances, no matter how pathetic they may be, and lead us to a faith that rises above those circumstances. Secondly, we see that our faith and our relationship to Jesus is tied to our behavior. Did you notice the sudden change of topic? Jesus is talking about living water, right? And the woman is all about that living water. You know, just like Nicodemus and being born again, Jesus was on one level. Nicodemus was down here thinking, how can you be born twice? That's just not physically possible. Well, Jesus is talking about living water. He's talking about spiritual living water. Now, again, just like with Nicodemus, I don't think we ought to look too down on this woman too much, right? Jesus had asked her for water. They were sitting at a well. They were talking about water. And Jesus says, I've got some water. I know where there's some water that if you drink of it, you'll never get thirsty again. Woohoo! I want some of that. I want some of that water. So that I don't have to keep coming here in the middle of the day trying to avoid everybody and filling my pot up. If I can get some water, you know, I, I, I got to think about that. You know, do you really, about, not so much about water and never being thirsty again. You know, that's okay. But, Never being hungry again. You know, I don't think I'd like that. I like eating too much. You know, I like being hungry. All right? But that's a whole other thing. I don't even know why we're on that. But, you know, a spiritual... Jesus is on the spiritual level. And he says, you know, if you come, I'll give you this water and you won't ever get thirsty again. And then Jesus says, go get your husband. Whoa. That was, that, was the, that was a sharp turn she didn't see coming, wasn't it? She didn't anticipate that. But why would Jesus change the subject? Because I think Jesus wanted her to understand and wants us to understand that our relationship with him and our faith does matter or is tied to our behavior. We cannot have a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God, and not worry about how we're living. We're going to get to the woman caught in adultery a little later on as one of these face-to-face encounters. Remember, Jesus did not say, cool, go back to doing what you were doing. Sorry, you got interrupted. 
No, he said, go and sin no more. I think bringing up the husbands was so that she could see that she wasn't living right. So that she could see that she needed something in her life. That there was something missing. And so our faith is tied to our behavior. True faith calls us to repentance and obedience. While faith is not tied to our circumstances, it is crucial that we connect our faith with our behavior so that it rises up us up out of our circumstances. Jesus wants all of our life, just not part of our lives, not just Sundays. Like we talked about this morning, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does my will. James talks about that faith that if it has no works, is dead. James is not saying, I don't think, James is not saying that there's faith and there's works. I think the point he was trying to get across is they go hand in hand. You can't have real faith if you're not expressing that faith like God says to express it. You can't have real faith and go out and live your life any way you want to. That's not real faith. And so our faith is important and is showed by how we do things. Asking the woman to bring her husband, I think, is a little like Jesus asking us to bring him our checkbooks. Or our tax returns. Or our internet browsing history. Or our text messages. Or our movie rentals. Our daily planners. In other words, what is it in your life that's not right? Just like when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and and he had done everything right. Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Whoa. It says the man went away sad. That was the one thing. We talk about pushing buttons, you know, you can push somebody's button. That was the one button on the rich young man was his money. He wasn't willing to give that up. What is it in our lives that we're not willing to give up? What is it in our lives that is keeping us from having a successful, meaningful relationship with Jesus? Faith is not a part or an aspect of our lives. It ought to control every aspect of our lives. Thirdly, Faith is expressed in true worship. And we hit on this this morning, so we may not, you know, yeah, we may take a little while. You got nowhere to go, right? Uh, It's sunny out, you know, it's not dark, so we're good. Thank you. I'll give you your money later, Doug. Just as quickly as Jesus changed the subject from living water to go get your husband, did you see how quickly the woman changed the subject? Uh, go get your husband. Well, I don't have one. Yeah, you're right about that. You've had five, and the guy you're living with is not your husband. And so what does she do? Well, you know what? You Jews, you say that you've got to worship in Jerusalem. And us Samaritans, we worship on this mountain, which is true. Now, I've come to look at this a lot differently in, in recent years or times. I do not believe at this moment that this woman is sincerely asking a religious question that she had a question about. 
I don't think so. I think she was trying to pick an argument. I think Jesus had gotten too personal. Ah, you've had five husbands. Dude, you're not left. What's the easiest way to end a conversation? Get into an argument. Get into an argument. Okay? Especially a religious argument. Or politics. But in this case, religion. I'm tired of talking to this guy. I want to get away from him. The easiest way, I'm going to get into an argument about Jews and Samaritans. Okay, you say we got to worship over there. We say we worship over here. What do you say? And she was waiting, I think, for Jesus to say, well, you know, you stinking Samaritans. You can worship, you worship up there. But the true worshipers, the real Jewish worshipers, we worship in Jerusalem. And then she would have had her out, right? She could have said, oh. I knew that's what you thought of me anyway. And could have walked off. But Jesus answers her question. He says, you know what? There's going to come a time when it's not going to matter if you're worshiping in Jerusalem or if you're worshiping on a mountain. It's not going to, none of that's going to matter. Because what God is seeking is true worshipers. And those true worshipers are those who worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth, emotion, feeling and obedience. The Pharisees had truth. They had the truth. But they didn't have the spirit. They didn't have the, the, the feeling. They didn't have the emotion. You know, we might ask ourselves, I've asked myself this, or, you know, I grew up thinking. That emotion really didn't have much part in church. You didn't want to get too emotional. Because if we got too emotional, we might be like them other people. But now, you know, we can't have too much emotion. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said to the people, you killed the son of God. You killed the son of God. And what does it say? They were cut to the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what, what, what should we do? Is that not emotional? Peter had told them that they had killed the Son of God. And they felt guilty about that. Guilt is an emotion. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, what? Rejoice in the Lord Real quietly, secretly, so nobody can tell you're happy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. If you can hear the word of God, if you can hear the gospel message and not be moved to emotion, something's wrong. Something's wrong. But now, we got to make sure that with the Spirit, we have the truth. You see, the, 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 the Pharisees, they had the truth, but they really didn't have the Spirit. And I've met folks that have had the Spirit, had a lot of emotion, but had absolutely no basis for that, no knowledge for it, no truth for it. 
They didn't know why they did what they did or they didn't. I just It's just all emotion. Emotion is important, but it's got to be founded in truth and what God has to say. To be true worshipers, we cannot live one of the others out. In connection to this, we should be reminded that our worship is not relegated to time or place, but that our lives are a worship to God. So this is a very interesting encounter that Jesus has with this woman. Now, next week, we're going to look at what happens because of this encounter. Those of you that have read on or you know the story, you know, this woman goes into town. And said, dudes, you are not going to believe who I just met at the well. And believe it or not, they're going to believe her. Well, I'm preaching next week's sermon now, so we'll just, we'll forget that. You have to come back next week. That was just a little bit, okay? I want you to look at the last two verses that we read tonight, 25 and 26. The woman said... I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, you kind of get the idea that Jesus had gone into this whole thing about there's coming a time where we're not going to worship in Jerusalem or on the mountain. And you maybe get the idea, this is the way I take it. I get the idea that she's not too sure about that. I tell you what. I don't know who you are, but I'm going to wait for the Messiah to explain that. I don't really, I don't really buy your explanation. When the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything, and I'll, I'll believe what he says. And then Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. You know what is amazing about that? This is the first time that Jesus publicly proclaimed himself to be the Messiah, the Christ. Remember, Nicodemus came to him and said, I believe you're a prophet. Would that not have been the perfect time for Jesus to say, oh, dude, I'm more than a prophet. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. But he didn't reveal himself to Nicodemus. He reveals himself to the outcast Samaritan woman at the well. Let's face it. If we were in charge of Jesus' public relation, this is not how we would have handled it. Okay? It would not have been to this one Samaritan outcast woman by a well in the middle of the day. That is not how we would have announced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. But that's how Jesus chose to do it. And what's interesting, again, next week's lesson, there's going to be a whole bunch of Samaritans who are going to believe that he's the Christ. Before any of the Jews believed. Before any of the Jews believed. The Samaritans believed. Wow. So Jesus wants to take us where we're at and lift us up to a relationship of faith with him. If you're here this evening in some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson you have found a better understanding of the Bible. 
and through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.